Macworld Podcast number 376 for October 2nd, 2013. Welcome to another Macro Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. And in this case, I'm Chris Breen only for the purposes of introducing Jackie Dove, who will spend this episode talking to two gentlemen who have created a compelling new iOS app. Take it away, Jackie. I'm Jackie Dove, Senior Editor at TechHive, and today we're going to talk about Frax, a brand new fractal generation app that just launched in the iTunes store for the iPhone and the iPad. We'll welcome two of the three Frax developers to tell us about what makes Frax so special. Ben Weiss, coding genius behind Frax, is here with us in the studio, and Tom Bedard, web developer and fractal wizard joins us over Skype straight out of Scotland. Thank you guys for coming on the program. Thanks, Jackie. It's great to be here. And good to be here as well, in, in a virtual form at least. <laughs> Welcome all. Um, before we start, there is a third developer for Frax, whose name many in the Mac community will no doubt recognize, and Kai Kraus of Kai's Power Tools, Bryce, MetaCreations fame, couldn't be here today, so I guess we're just going to have to talk about him in his absence, okay? So guys, let's talk about your new app, Frax. Tell us about it, lay out the basics, what is it, and, and maybe go into a little bit about what fractals are. Well, fractals are the mathematical shapes of nature. They're the geometric patterns that we find repeated over and over throughout the universe. They have a few different characteristics. Uh, among repetition, they, have, uh, they repeat themselves a lot. Uh, they repeat themselves over and over. And they have self-similarity at different scales. You can look at, at them in large or small, and they seem to look pretty much the same. Uh, that's true whether you're talking about the immense spiral shape of a galaxy, the weather patterns of a hurricane, or the swirls of cream in your morning coffee. So we interact with fractals on a daily basis. Uh, they're out there in the world, lightning bolts, clouds, coastlines, and on a deeper level, human experience, human life, couldn't exist without fractals. For instance, our lungs have a surface area about the size of a tennis court, but they're folded up in a fractal pattern in order to fit inside our chest. It's how we fit miles and miles of blood vessels in a six-foot-tall person. So we're able to sit here and record this conversation about fractals, largely because we're made up in part of fractals ourselves. For most of human history, we had no real awareness that these patterns even existed uh, until about the 70s when mathematician Benoit Mandelbrot realized that there was a dimension between the dimensions and geometry wasn't just about squares and circles and triangles, uh, but that nature actually has a geometry all of its own. So the app Frax takes these new ideas about fractals and puts the beauty of math right in your hands. Frax uses these simple fractal equations to generate vast, abstract, geometric landscapes. You can fly into entire new worlds of color, light, texture, and shape and explore the underpinnings of nature in a breathtaking way, all on your iPhone or your iPad. So I guess I shouldn't really even ask you why you decided to create Frax to begin with. Well, I created Frax largely because I've been fascinated with fractals since I was about 10 years old. Back then, I discovered the book Chaos by James Gleick, and there was some sample code in there that I typed into my Apple IIc and waited for the image to, to generate themselves. And I would just wait with rapt attention to see what shapes would reveal themselves slowly, very, very slowly, line by line. In those days, it took forever. I remember coding one fractal program and hitting run right before leaving for summer camp. And when I got back a week later, it was almost finished drawing just one black and white picture. 
so now, uh, in my career in general, I've always wanted to find ways to make fractals feel more immersive, more real-time, and to take the joyous experience that I've always had with fractals and make it available to everyone. Uh, back then, the technology didn't really exist to do that, but I'm finding that now it does. Uh, fractals have always been my hello world. You know, whenever I have a new platform, a new uh, hardware to write for, fractal programs are what I always turn to first to get used to the new machines. So when Apple released the iPhone and the iPhone 3GS and the APIs for developers to write apps, uh, the first thing that came to mind was to bring uh, these fractal ideas to life on these new devices. On the other hand, I didn't want to just take the same sort of fractal program that you could write for a desktop machine 15 years ago and just transplant it to the iPhone. I really wanted it to be unique to really reflect the capabilities of the new hardware. So I do remember very vividly having an aha moment looking at the iPhone 3GS, which had an accelerometer built in, and realized that you could actually move the phone to control the fractal, that you can tilt the phone back and forth to steer your way through these fractal landscapes. And so having that idea in my head of what a fractal program could be on the iPhone really stuck in my head, and from there it was inevitable. I had to work on it and learn how to write a pra- a fra- a, uh, learn how to write an iPhone app uh, in order to bring that to life. So, Tom, let's rope you into this conversation a little bit. Um, how how did you get involved in Fractals? What what boosted your interest in it? So I, I got into Fractals because uh, originally my background is as a physicist, but I moved into web development in the in the uh, first dot com boom, and uh, exploring Fractals was a, a kind of a, a side diversion, uh, a return to my roots in a way, but also just as a uh, an interest using generative graphics to uh, create some interesting imagery and uh, in a kind of interactive way that uh, kind of tickled the itch to explore this kind of fascinating area, the fact that you have uh, such a, a simple process that can create such incredible detail and, um, and intricacy that, that is just unlike anything else. You guys are really experts on fractals, though. Um, can can we get a little bit into the mathematical background that you have that you know makes you gives you that expertise in this area? Sure. Uh, well, I was a math major in college, and I've always been fascinated by mathematics in general. And I think fractals and mathematics are, are one and the same. They really go together. Uh, and so, in, in a long time in the software industry. A fusion of computer, uh, a fusion of algorithms and mathematics and computer graphics has really sort of defined my career and the type of work that I've done. And fractals fit naturally right into that. So let me ask you a technical question here. What is the difference between a Mandelbrot and a Julia set? And I'll give you a hint. The answer should not be a mathematical equation. Because <laughs> okay. that's all I found when I've looked it up. Well, Julia sets are a category of of mathematical shapes that were actually discovered and researched about 100 years ago by some researchers. And there was sort of an open question about these Julia set shapes because some of them are connected. You have like a blob that's a certain shape, and some of them are disconnected dusts. They're not, uh, they're just scattered shapes. And the question was, how do you tell which ones are connected and which ones aren't? And this was sort of a deep mathematical problem. And when Mandelbrot himself came on the scene in the 70s and started researching this, he was able to devise a way to make a map of all the Julia set shapes. And 
on this map, you can see visually which ones, which Julia sets are connected, which ones are disconnected. And the shape of this map, called the Mandelbrot set, is itself a whole level of complexity deeper, more complex than the Julia sets are. It has a much more complicated shape and structure. And Frax lets you investigate both of these categories of shapes. Uh, and as you use the program, you can see the visual correspondences between the whole category of Julia sets and the singular Mandelbrot set that is sort of a table of contents to the Julia sets. Got it. Okay. That, that makes everything sort of clear. So what do you envision your audience actually doing with Frax? So you have it, and it's gorgeous, and it's cool. So now what? Well, Frax is very open-ended in how you can use it. It's sort of... Uh, Think of it like a, an amusement park. You can go there, and it has all the different uh, fantasy land and future land and, and wonderland. And uh, likewise, with Frax, you can take it in all different directions. You can use it, as most people probably will in the beginning, as just an immersive exploration tool where you see the types of graphics that it can create, and you just fly around in them and immerse yourself in it. Uh, and once you start to learn what it can do, you can take it in the direction of really being a designer and trying to design specific objects and shapes and tune it exactly how you like. Uh, once you do that, you can use that. People are probably going to make, uh, we expect, gallery-quality artwork with this or make fabric prints or use it as uh, an animated background at rock concerts or use it as a screensaver. Uh, but it's it's very open-ended. It's a very powerful tool. Um, so the the sky is the limit what people might use this for. So why would you want to create a fractal app now uh, as opposed to perhaps something else, a desktop app or maybe a productivity app? I mean, why did you like, zero in on the whole fractal concept for your first mobile app? Uh, there are a few reasons for this. Uh, one of them, of course, fractals have just been a passion of mine since I was a kid, and so it was a natural choice for me as the subject of my first attempt at writing a, a, an iPhone app, which has now, three years later, developed into a, uh, a, a, a far beyond what I could ever have imagined that it would be. Uh, second, uh, I didn't see any other apps in the marketplace that were anything similar to this. It really defines a new, a new category of app, uh, Think of it as like creative play. It's not really just a toy. It's beyond that. And it's not a game either. It doesn't have high scores or, or slicing fruit. It's something that's really uh, in a unique category all by itself. Uh, and the third reason also is as the hardware gets faster and faster, it becomes more and more difficult to find apps that can really show off the power of that hardware. There's only so fast you can make a, a word search game. Uh, and Fractal's in general, being so mathematically intensive are perfect for showing off the capabilities of the new chipsets and the new hardware and the new graphics chips uh, in the same way that uh, Usain Bolt is perfect for showing off a new pair of running shoes. Right. And and so you use the accelerometer, for example. Uh, tell us how you decided to do that and the gyroscope as well. Sure. The accelerometer and gyroscope and, in general, many of the hardware devices that are inside the iPhone, whether it's the camera, the microphone, just enable you to do uh, things in an app and with just interactivity, the way that people use the apps with that and with finger gestures uh, that were never possible on the desktop. So a lot of it, it was just in the vein of wanting to explore new ideas, new uh, capabilities, things you can, can do in an app that were just not possible before to branch into new territory. Tom, what do you think that Frax contributes to the app scene generally? I th well, I, th I think uh, kind of like Ben said there, it's 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 a unique 
app in the way that it, it doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have to have an aim. It's just something that you can explore at your own pace, your own, uh, in your own mood, um, and, and find, find your own inspiration in there. Um, it, 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 it's almost like doodling. You, you, there's no necessary mean for it, but sometimes it's just enjoyable to do it and explore it. And, and some people I think will find it as quite a, a relaxing process, a, uh, just a, a way of releasing tension or just, um, uh, just exploring new things that they haven't seen before. There's, there's a, there's certainly a kind of a curiosity aspect of it where you, you kind of, you fly down a certain, uh, spur in, in the shape of the fractal. You see different shapes and you wonder how, well, maybe if I change the surface there, what's it going to look like? If I merge different aspects of the, uh, the other presets that we've got to play with, how, how will that change the whole shape? What new images can I make? What new, uh, structures can I see in the whole thing? So it's, it's, it's as much an exploration and, and uh, kind of curiosity aspect, I think, as, as anything else, really. So what's the difference between Frax and some of the other Fractal apps that are on the App Store? And I did a search for Fractal, and Lord knows there were quite a number that came out. What, what makes Frax stand out against the other ones? Well, it's really it's really heartening to see all the other fractal apps on the store, and it's an indication of how many people out there find fractals so fascinating that they would spend the time to write a fractal program and put it up on the store. Um, and with writing fracts, we wanted to take just the next step. We wanted to go way past what had been done before in the context of fractal apps. Uh, the the ones that are on the store now are are fun to look at, but we found them to be uh, a little bit uh, one-and-a-half-dimensional, to use a fractal pun for the fractal nerds out there. Um, so uh, the differences are uh, the, the apps that are on the store now are fairly basic. They seem similar to what you might have seen from a desktop fractal app from a few years earlier. Uh, they don't have the tilting to steer, the use of the accelerometer and gyroscope like Frax does. They don't let you rotate the fractals. Uh, there's no lighting effects or complex texturing effects. And so with Frax, by adding all of these layers of complexity onto it, uh, we really were trying to differentiate ourselves from what had been done before in this space. So where does Kai Krauss come into this mix? Now, Kai is known to our readers specifically from Kai's Power Tools and, and some of the other famous software that he developed back in the 1990s and the 2000s, which you, Ben Weiss, were also a part of that. Could, could you give us a little bit of the background of how you two got back together with this and, and what Kai Krauss's contribution to this is? I mean, his name is on it with yours and Tom's. And since he couldn't be on the podcast today, it, it'd be kind of nice to just, you know, include some of his contributions as well. Sure. Well, to properly tell the story, I guess I would have to go all the way back to the early 90s. I was halfway through college and in the summer looking around for a summer job and doing a lot of surfing. And uh, in fact, my dad was out surfing with me one day and struck up a conversation with uh, a guy out in, in the lineup and talking about how his son was looking around for a summer job, perhaps something to do with computers. And the person he was talking to happened to work for a little software company called HSC Software in Santa Monica. And uh, so they got me in there for an interview, and I talked to some of the people there and showed them some of the computer projects that I was working on. And their consensus was, well, we, we have no idea what to do with you, but you should definitely talk to Kai. 
because just by pure coincidence, they had connected with Kai a few months before that and were working on some projects. So I got to meet Kai there in an interview. I remember uh, talking to him briefly in the office and then offering to drive him home up to his house at the top of Topanga Canyon and drove him home and had a long chat with him on the drive about what he was working on, what I was working on, got up to his house, met his family, had dinner, stayed around, drank tea, played chess, talked more about Photoshop and graphics. And before we knew it, I think it was about 4 a.m., we had uh, sort of realized that there was some synergy going on here. And so from there, Kai had been working on a set of Photoshop tips and tricks, uh, Kai's power tips, as people might remember from, from back then, and had the idea to write a set of plugins, filters for Photoshop. And uh, he wanted someone to help him to, do the, to write the code for it. And so over that summer, for the next few months, uh, Kai designed some interfaces for the plugins that he had in mind, and I wrote the engines underlying them. And together that became Kai, Kai's Power Tools. That became Kai's Power Tools 1.0, which launched in 1992 and then went through several versions over the years. Uh, Kai and I worked on KPT 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, uh, Kai's, Power, Kai's Power Goo, Kai's Photo Soap, Bryce, and a number of other apps throughout the 90s. And it became really a, a very tight, close partnership. And the combination of Kai's working on interface and my working on the underlying code was really a magical combination. And uh, that was, was quite an incredible ride through that time period. Um, then fast forward to, well, I guess about the year, about the year 2000, um, we both ended up leaving the company, which had become Meta Creations by that point. And I stayed in California. Kai went to Germany. And I spent a few years working on some of my own projects, but more just bouncing around the industry. I worked briefly for Google. I worked for Microsoft, for Apple, worked on Picasa. I worked on Sea Dragon. And uh, through all of that, I, would ke I, I kept in touch with Kai through those years. And Kai would often needle me about the fact that I was working for these big companies doing sort of anonymous work in the trenches on these big programs. And he kept encouraging me, you know, you've got to go out and you should be doing something on your own to get your name out into the name out into the world to really do some unique projects. And so I kept that in the back of my mind. And it was really when the iPhone came out with the SDKs to write software for it that I figured this is something that I have to jump on. And at that point, I um, I started working on Frax and uh, it started just me on my own working on it, just uh, as, as a side project. And uh, a few months into it, in fact, uh, anecdotally, I had the amazing opportunity to show an early version of Frax to Benoit Mandelbrot himself at the TED conference in early 2010. And well, that must have been a real trip. That was amazing just to see my idol there, that I had read his books backwards and forwards 20 years earlier, and I was working on programs to make the Mandelbrot set, and here is Mandelbrot himself in the flesh. So I was able to go up to him and show him the early prototypes of Frax running on an iPhone 3GS and his reactions of, c'est superb, and you know this is amazing working running on these phones, was really amazing to see. And so that really gave me extra motivation to want to really pursue this and bring it to the level that I thought it could be done. So I kept working on that for several more months, and it grew and grew in complexity. And at some point, it began to outgrow what could be done with the sort of the standard user interface that iOS provides. And so 
it, you know, when it got to the point where it had 50 different parameters you could control, well, on, when you have an iPhone-sized screen, you can't quite put 50 sliders on the screen and expect to have a usable program. And I wasn't quite sure how I was even going to go about solving this. But when it comes to trying to solve difficult user interface problems and looking for sort of paradigm-busting incredible interface concepts, Kai is the name that immediately comes to mind. And so I got in touch with Kai, and I showed him what I had been working on and to see whether he would like to partner with me and get involved and work and collaborate on this effort to make this into a real serious app. And so he jumped at the chance, and we partnered from then on. It's been an incredible collaboration uh, of Kai working on the interface and some of the content and myself working on the engine. And when it got to the point we needed to have a website put together for it and a cloud backend to handle sharing presets to and from the cloud, putting the fractals up on the web, uh, then we got Tom on board. And so it's been this this wonderful uh, triumvirate of uh, we complement each other's skills fantastically. And it's it's been a, a wonderful experience working together with, with this team. So, Tom, let, let's hear it from your end. How did you get involved with this? Well, I, I, I got involved uh, initially because uh, Kai seems some of my uh, own sort of fractal projects on my website. Um, they've just been running a blog and some of the experiments I've been working on. And uh, some of those uh, involved uh, 3D fractal animations that have uh, kind of done the round and quite a few high-profile blogs and gone a bit viral. So Kai sort of uh, found my work from there and, and we got talking. And uh, I happened to be across in, in Belgium with a family holiday. And uh, so Kai said, well, you know, it's, it's only an hour and a half train journey from there. So come over and, and meet me. So I went over and met him and found out all of it, all about the various pro- projects of, of all sorts that he's been working on recently. And one of which was, was Frax. And, and so he showed me Frax and explained the, the history he'd been working with Ben on it and, and where they've got so far and everything else. And so uh, at the time, I, I was just finishing uh, working with a, uh, a company and um, it was a kind of perfect timing for me to, to join the team and uh, get involved in uh, furthering the app and building um, the kind of the, the server back end so we could render uh, sort of 50 megapixel uh, images from the, from the app directly and have a website to, uh, and gallery to promote it and everything else. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, it was very fortuitous timing. Uh, when I came on board, it was about two years now actually, um, and uh, just been involved in the project ever since. And and so, guys, what is the single most important thing that you hope that users will get from Frax? For me, I hope that it gives users the same sense of beauty and wonder looking at fractals that I've always had from the beginning when I when I think about them and when I've explored them. Uh, for most users, it will just be the joy of immersively exploring these abstract visual worlds, just the sense of flow and play that you get from playing in the app. Um, and for a, for a few users, I do hope also that it will inspire them to look deeper into the underpinnings of how the program was done, what the mathematical underpinnings are, how it was put together, and to get inspired to explore it at a, at a deeper level that way, the same way that I did when I saw these things myself 30 years ago. So if a few users... Uh, if, I'm hoping there's some junior high kids out there that start playing with the app and really take to it in the same way that I did all those years ago. And I look forward to seeing what sort of software they might be creating uh, in the year 2040 on whatever hardware exists then to see uh, how it will eclipse what we're doing now. 
I, I want to talk a little bit about the software design and development that you guys went through in putting Fracks together, how it differs today than it did, say, in the 1990s and 2000s when um, you and, and Kai were doing um, some of the older desktop Mac programs that you worked on from MetaCreations. You know, what's the differences today in, in how the workflow goes? Well, the way that people interact with today's computers is so completely different from the way they interacted with a big, bulky desktop 30 years ago or, or even 10 or even 10 years ago, to develop a, an app for a four-inch touchscreen, you have to just learn to think in an entire new way. There's no keyboard. There's no mouse. There's no pointer. It's all just touch and interacting very viscerally, gesturally with the devices. So it's, it's, a, uh, it's a brave new world. At the same time, the... At the same time, the iPhone, for instance, has as much processing power as a desktop machine had 10 years ago. And so from that point of view, it's, there are some familiar aspects where you can be used to having a gigahertz processor and a GPU and that sort of thing. So development these days is vastly different from where it was 15 years ago. Uh, these days, the developers are offered a host of ready-made components from buttons and user interface uh, pieces. But at the same time, to write something like Frax, it required a lot of old-school customization under the hood, doing stuff in a style you might have done 30 years ago, like writing assembly language, just getting directly at the metal to make the program run as fast as possible. And so the real challenge with Frax, adapting it to the modern age, was trying to synthesize some of these old-school approaches that we had based on our years of experience writing code back in the 90s uh, and, and so on with all of the modern tools and techniques. And it really took all of our combined skills and experience, both from uh, the engine perspective that, that I work on to the interface perspective uh, that, that Kai worked with, uh, and now the, 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 uh, the cloud side of it that, that Tom has experience with uh, to make this happen. And we hope that all the extra effort that we've put into the synthesis we really make Frax stand out from any other apps that are on the market. From what I understand, you guys worked in different parts of the world and that you barely even met at all during this development process. How does that work? Uh, Tom, you want to take this one? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's surprising well, actually. Um, it's amazing how, how you can get by just using iChat and email. Uh, and then we use Dropbox as well to share files and uh and everything else, but yeah, I mean, we we had uh, we had one meeting um, a couple of years ago at Kai's place in Germany, um, and uh, and then I've I've also been over to, to Ben's place uh, in California uh, a couple of times where we've had sort of two ten day intensive sessions, uh, kind of really hammering through some some gnarly problems we've been working on, uh, but the rest of the time, um, because we all kind of have slightly offset. Uh, time differences. We actually find we get a, a couple of hours uh, either side overlap. So quite often uh, I'll be working on something during the day and then hand it over to Ben. And then Ben will continue uh, through throughout the night, my end, his day, their end, and uh, and, and same with Kai as well. So there is a, there is actually quite a, a workable overlap. So it's almost like a, a continuous chain of uh, development as the app progresses. Right, twenty-four hour a day. Uh, almost. <laughs> It's tag team programming. Right, there you go. So um, how has the new iOS 7 that's just come out, how has that affected the, um, the development of Frax? Well, Frax has a completely custom interface. We really don't use any of the 
uh, built-in iOS tools or built-in uh, look and feel of the interface buttons and sliders and so on. And so transitioning to iOS 7 was perhaps easier for us than it might have been for, for some other developers. Uh, but that said, there are some aspects of the look and feel of iOS 7 that we would like to adapt into the feel of Frax. For instance, uh, iOS 7 has their blurring effect that they like to put behind buttons and panels that blurs the background, and that's something that's new to iOS 7. And in sort of a synergy, we found, or I found that uh, some aspects of the Frax engine actually allowed us to do that ourselves under the hood in a way that was even more efficient than what could be done by the operating system. And so now we can do that blur effect in the interface and have it be faster and more efficient and work on top of animating fractals uh, in a way that uh, that really has a lot of, of synergy with the direction that the OS is going. And as the OS evolves and as the look and feel of different apps evolves, we're going to continue to update Frax to fit in in that environment as well as to have its own unique characteristics that stand out. Uh, one other aspect of iOS 7, and as in general, as there are new versions of the operating system, is that it does drop support for older devices, which is double-edged because it is nice to be able to run the software on really old devices. But at the same time, as the new iOS comes out and suddenly we can depend on every phone that runs iOS 7 is going to have a retina display. It lets us do things custom in our in our software to take advantage of that and to depend on that. Uh, and going forward, as the hardware that's supported by the new iOS 7, uh, as we can depend on a certain level of hardware, it allows us to do more in the app uh, to, to use the extra power that we can count on being there. And so that's another nice thing about, uh, about the, the iOS changing and the new versions coming out. So specifically, what plans do you have for Frax for the future? Oh, man, it's completely open-ended. We have hundreds, literally, of different features that we really, really hoped to get into Frax already. And it's just there's not enough months in the day to get them all done. Uh, and so whether it's truly flying around in full 3D, tilting the fractals in perspective um, in the future with the new Mac Pro coming out with 4K displays and the new advanced you know, Thunderbolt 2 and the new G GPUs, all the power of that, uh, the new devices, who knows what the next generation of the iPad is going to be. It opens up such incredible capabilities that we could uh, barely have thought of. In fact, one of the techniques that I use when I get stuck on figuring out what features to write next is that I think to myself, well, if the hardware were 100 times faster, what could I do with hardware like that? And then look back and try to figure out, well, those are neat ideas. Could I, is there any way that I could do that on today's hardware? And every so often, you find a way to do that. But now, today's iPhones and iPads are literally 100 times faster than the first generation of iPhone and iPad. And so some of these, uh, some of these ideas of things that we could do, uh, uh, we can actually do now. And looking forward, it's only going to get faster and better. There's, there are so many different things that we would like to do with combining Frax with uh, audio input, microphone input, video input, and making more and complicated patterns and shapes, um, opening it up to more color effects, more video effects. Uh, we have no shortage of ideas of where to take it from here. Okay, I've got two things. Um, first is the 4K TVs. Um, what's, what's your plan for that? 
it's a lot of pixels, but the processors that are coming down the pipe have so much capability that uh, they'll be able to handle that no problem. I mean, I have no doubt that uh, writing versions of Frax for the new Mac Pro uh, and for the new laptops that are coming out for these new devices uh, will be able to take advantage of that. You'll be able to have fractals animating in perfect quality on a 4K 100-inch screen and just looking incredibly beautiful. And if you can picture something like that animating uh, in the background at a, at a live music performance, for instance, uh, perhaps with the music influencing the video in some way, um, you know, it, it could be just, just mind-boggling. How would you do that, though? How would you have the music influence the video? How does that work? Um, there are a couple different ways to do that. One is to have access to... One way is if you know something in advance about the music, you can tailor the animation effects to sort of follow the mood of the music, and sometimes that might require having a, a VJ, someone there to sort of drive and steer what the program is doing based on the music. Uh, the other way is simply to have a microphone on the device. All the iPhones and iPads have microphones built into them now. They can just listen to the ambient sounds and change what the fractal is doing in terms of where it's looking, what direction it's going, what the color changes are based on the audio signals being fed in. And this is something that we're actively working on and investigating. And so for the future, uh, it might be a big part of, of what the app can do to respond to music and feel like it really is playing along. And what about Android? Hate to bring that up, but, you know, the whole idea of developing for the other operating system, which many of the apps do today. Uh, well, I think that we are a very small team. It's right now only the three of us. And so we've really had our hands full developing at the moment just for the iPhone. I've always been a Mac head from the earliest days. I think my first Mac was a, a Macintosh 2 running on System 4.2 back in 1988 something like that. And so I've always gone to the Mac first, and I really prefer the aesthetic of working on the Mac and the, the iOS platform much more. So that's where we've started. And uh, depending on how things go with the launch of this app, how it's received by the marketplace, uh, I could certainly see us porting it to other platforms and expanding onto other devices. And because Frax has its own interface, and it does everything in such a custom way, uh, it should be fairly straightforward to adapt to these other platforms. And uh, so that's definitely uh, a possibility. So I'd like to get your final thoughts uh, about the app, about the process, and um, just about Frax itself. Um, Tom, you want to go ahead? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's been a bit of a uh, an exploration in terms of the development process. It's been a very organic development process, I suppose, uh, based on how we feel it's going at the time and what discoveries we're turning up as, as the development goes. And I think uh, we're, we're kind of seeing the future in the same way as well, depending on how people receive the app, the things they do with it, the, the, the feedback we get from it, how, how it inspires them to, to look at things in a new way or how they, how they decide to use the app. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a uh, it's it's a bit of a journey really. We're not quite sure where it's going, but it's still an exciting process anyway. So as Tom said, it's been a a very unique and organic, a fascinating process going through the last few years working with this team creating this app. It feels like uh, we're just getting to opening day at Disneyland. We've created this amusement park of an app. I mean, three years in development for one app to have its version one launch. And so we have this frax, a fractal wonderland 
that has uh, is now just having its ribbon cutting, being open up to the public, and we're going to wait for people to flood in and see where they go and what they do, what they use it for, what they like. And we're looking forward very much to the feedback we get on the app and just seeing how it how it's received as it goes out into the world. So we can't wait to see. Well, thank you very much, Ben Weiss and Tom Bedard of Frax, for coming on the program. Thanks again, Jackie, for the opportunity. Thank you. You've been listening to the Macworld podcast with our guests, Ben Weiss and Tom Bedard, the developers of Frax, a premier fractal generator for the iPhone and iPad. It's on the App Store now. And don't forget to read our feature story and review on www.macworld.com. I'm Jackie Dove, Senior Editor at TechHive and Macworld. Thanks for listening. <laughs>